Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's man to man coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the October 30 edition of PFTPM. Just walked in the door within the last half hour. Had a little slice of pumpkin pie. That's the one thing I like about this time of year. Forget about the, what is it, pumpkin spice latte and all that crap. Just eat a piece of pumpkin pie. You want pumpkin? Go old school. Have a piece of pumpkin pie and a cup of coffee. You don't have to put it all into one thing. Why? Why? Pumpkin pie is everywhere this time of year. I don't understand why there's no market for it the rest of the year. I don't get it. Apple pie is available all year long. I don't get it. I'm not trying to do an unintentional Seinfeld bit here either. I don't get it. Why is pumpkin pie deliberately scarce? Will we not eat it at all if it's available all year long? Is it possible that there's something inherently disgusting about that orange whatever it really is? You know, now that I think about it. Maybe I wouldn't want it if it was available all year long. Either way, I came home, I sat down, I had a piece of pumpkin pie, I posted a story at PFT, and let's go. My reward for getting home after a weekend of duty, even though it's really not duty because it's really not work, but I just like saying duty. <laughs> my, my reward is get back to work, even though it's not work. All right, I go a lot of different ways today. It's five down territory. That's the structure if there ever is any structure to the PFTPM podcast. I'm going to start with the game of the year so far. It seems like every week there's a game of the year so far, and that's good for the NFL. There's plenty of bad things going on for the NFL, and we'll be talking about them over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. But the one very good thing is rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. Exciting. Everything about the kid, it screams out franchise quarterback. And he started six games. Remember I said last week he will acquit himself well? I both love and hate that saying. He acquitted himself well. Why not just say he did a good job in an unsuccessful effort? All of that is a little bit longer. Acquitted himself well sounds a little fancy. But he did. He did everything in his power to win the game. It was the defense that let the Texans down. And if any team should ever be happy about a loss, it's the Texans. They should be thrilled that they lost 41-38, to that they went into Seattle and scored 38 points, that they managed to play as well as they did given the very significant distraction that they had to deal with that we'll talk about later. That's a separate down in the five-down territory. For now, I want to praise Deshaun Watson. Chris Sims and I were talking about it today, and the more I think about it, The more I believe that the Michael Jordan comparison made by Clemson coach Dabo Swinney is, to borrow a quote from one of my favorite movies of all time, dead on balls accurate. Think about how Michael Jordan entered the consciousness as an NBA player. We knew he was a great college player. He won a national championship 
at North Carolina. But he wasn't regarded as a can't-miss, absolute, positive, star NBA player. He was passed over twice, I think. Third overall pick in the draft. 84? 84? I don't know. 84. Let's go with 84. And instantly, at the next level, he found a higher level. That's the one thing you never know about any athlete who makes the transition from college to professional. There's a ceiling for each of them between what they accomplished in college and making it to the Hall of Fame at the next level. And usually what happens is the best you can hope for at the next level is to be as good as you were at the earlier level relative to your competition. So if you're very good in college, the best you hope for, very good in the pros. If you're dominant in college, dominant in the pros. Every once in a while, we see it at a lower level where a guy who played at a small college and was just like, okay, but somebody saw something in him, he can make it at the NFL level, and he does. I think of a guy like Pierre Garçon, a guy that Bill Polian spotted at Mount Union, Division Three Mount Union. Tony Dungy's told me the story where Polian kept pointing out Pierre Garçon, Pierre Garçon, Pierre Garçon, and Tony didn't see it, but Polian did. And look at what Garçon has done in the NFL. As it relates to Deshaun Watson, he was the best player in college football, and he's already better in the NFL than he was in college. He throws the ball more accurately. Interceptions were the concern with Deshaun Watson at Clemson. Too many interceptions. 17 as a junior, 13 last year. And the thinking is, if you throw interceptions at the college level, you're going to throw more at the NFL level because the windows are smaller, the defensive backs are better. And Deshaun Watson did have three interceptions on Sunday. But he's a better passer. He throws the ball better. He throws it into tighter spots. He's just better, and he's got that instinct. He's got that gift. He's got that intangible quality that allows him to move in space. And I saw this the very first night, that Thursday night, that he found a way to weave through traffic playing Cincinnati and get to the end zone. The guy isn't Mike Vick. He doesn't find a gear and disappear. He's a guy who understands how his body moves in relation to the other bodies, and that will serve him well. That quality is the difference between getting hit in the leg and tearing an ACL as you're running down the sideline and escaping and getting out of bounds before the contact. It's the difference between getting down before you get blown up by a Kiko Alonso. Because there is a lingering belief that Joe Flacco has some responsibility for the ungainly way that he slid. Should have slid sooner. Should have seen it coming. Should have felt it coming. I don't know how much of it is what you see and how much of it is what you feel. And I think for Deshaun Watson, it's what he feels. Special player, buy his jersey, get on board, witness history. That's the best news so far for the NFL. In a season full of bad news, the best news is we've got ourselves a young franchise quarterback.
at a time when way too many of the franchise quarterbacks are on the wrong side of 35. We got us a franchise quarterback who is going to make the Texans a contender for years to come. Get used to seeing that blue helmet. Get used to it. In prime time. All the time. Get used to it. Also, by the way, Russell Wilson is still pretty good. And Russell Wilson isn't wired to say this. I'll say it on his behalf. Hey, everybody out there who's slobbering all over Deshaun Watson, don't forget about me. I won the game. I threw for more yards. I had 482 total yards yesterday. My team had 479 total yards. How the hell does that happen? It happens when you got Russell Wilson. They need to give Russell Wilson a raise right now. He is their entire offense. Hey, Russell, here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to go out there and play at a high level with no blocking, no running game, and average receivers. I hesitated there because I don't want Doug Baldwin to come fight me because I would lose. But for the most part, relative to the other great receivers in the NFL, we'll put them right in the middle of the pack. The others bring the average down. Russell, go do everything. For $21.9 million a year or whatever it is. He needs a new contract. I should write that. I like to stir it up a little bit. I'm sure the Seahawks will appreciate that. Hey, Seahawks, you better pay Russell Wilson. If you're not going to pay anybody else on offense, you just give it all to Russell Wilson. Have everybody else sign to the minimum salary and just give everything after that on offense to Russell Wilson. So bottom line, game of the year so far. Too bad it wasn't the 425 p.m. Eastern game. Nothing against the Cowboys in Washington, but too bad the 405 game wasn't the main game of the afternoon. But there will be plenty of Texans games to come in the future that we should be excited about. And even at 3-4, and four, they should be feel, feeling very good about their chances over the rest of the year because Deshaun Watson keeps getting better. Here we go. Indianapolis win. That makes them 4-4. Four and four. At the Rams. Ooh, what a... Ooh. Yes, please. 4.05 p.m. kickoff. Another one that should be 4.25. I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to give them a win there. I'm getting caught up in Deshaun fever. That would make them 5-4. and four. Arizona at home, that's a win. 6-4. and four. Baltimore at Baltimore Monday night. Mm. Depending upon which Ravens team shows up. Okay, 6-5. and five. At Tennessee, seven and five. San Francisco, eight and five. At Jacksonville, put me down. Put me down for a win. Is that an even week or an odd week? Either way, put me down for a win. A little revenge for the Texans at Jacksonville. Steel, how about this? Merry Christmas and ho, ho, ho. Sliding down your chimney on December 25th. Christmas Day, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Texans hosting the Steelers. And then they wrap the season with a game at Indianapolis. I lost track. Win over Indianapolis, 4-4. Win over the Rams, 5-4. Win over the Cardinals, 6-4. Lost to the Ravens on Monday night, 6-5. At Tennessee, win, 7-5. San Francisco, 8-5. Jacksonville, 9-5. Pittsburgh, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'll defer on that one. I think they win the division, though. I think they overcome the Jaguars. The Jaguars are too inconsistent. All right, I've been talking too much 
about the game of the year. Now it's time to talk about non-football. Jerry Jones versus Roger Goodell. Or as Mark Derrigus called him during the PFTPM podcast over the weekend, Roger Goodall. Which reminded me of that weird period of time in August of 2006 when we all were introduced to Roger Goodell, those of us who cover the sport, and no one knew how to pronounce his name. What is this? What What is this? Roger Goodell? What? What is it? Goodell? Roger Goodell. And now we've just heard it so many times. It's like, oh yeah, Goodell. But 11 years ago, I, I, I don't know how to say that. Will someone else please say that? I don't know how to say that. Jerry Jones has been saying it a lot in the sentence of, I do not want to give Goodell a contract extension. This is a weird situation. And I did, look, I'll admit it. Anyone from ESPN out there who's listening to this, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I, I was a little hard on ESPN yesterday. I, I, I feel like they're on both sides of this story. You've got Shefty one day saying Goodell will definitely get an extension. And then you got Shefty and Mort leading the charge that Jerry Jones is trying to derail the extension. So whatever happens, there will be something out there from ESPN that makes it look like they were right all along. And I understand the story is changing and shifting and moving, but it's just too much like ping pong. It's just ping pong for ESPN. Here's the reality. At this point, there are only two ways Jerry Jones can derail the Roger Goodell contract extension. One, get 23 other owners to agree with him that they should not extend his contract or that they should just get rid of him. And at this point, with about two years left on his deal, if they don't extend his contract, they are getting rid of him. So you need 23 other owners. Why do you need 23? Here's why. Because the moment to defecate or get off the defecator was in May. That was when the owners voted on giving the compensation committee within a set of parameters authorization to, wait for it, wait for it, drum roll, extend Roger Goodell's contract. What was the vote? The vote was, this is one I'd like to have stats. I'd have somebody to talk to. The vote was 32 nothing. Implicit in that, Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, ranking owner, as he likes to call himself, which is factually wrong and offensive to owners like Virginia McCaskey, Art Rooney, John Mara, etc. There is no there's no such thing as a ranking owner in the NFL. What was my point? Oh, they authorized the compensation committee to do the deal. At that moment, all he needed was eight. We would like to put this... I don't know if they use Robert's Rules of Order or whatever the hell they're called. We would like to put this to a vote. We have a quorum present. So moved. Authorization of the Compensation Committee to extend the contract of Roger Goodall. <laughs> uh, second. Okay, we have a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Crickets. That's the moment where if you're going to oppose it, all it takes is nine. If he was against it in May, all it takes is nine. And I know if he's against it now, he was against it in May because it was in March where he filibustered at the league meeting of owners only. That was the first time it was raised with me that Jerry Jones was up to something as it relates to Goodell's contract and that he could be essentially trying to stage an ouster now. That was undercut by Jerry Jones not making a move 
not making a run, not trying to put a block of nine owners together in May. Now, the way ESPN tells it, based upon a conference call from last Thursday, this notion of halting the extension came to be. That's not my understanding what the call was about. At this point, they're trying to out, outline the parameters of the incentives in the contract, and Jerry wants to drive a very hard bargain. Remember, after the Compensation Committee got the authorization to do the deal, Jerry made himself into an ad hoc member of the committee. He doesn't have a vote. He's been offered a vote. He says, I don't want to vote. It's weird. It's weird and wacky stuff. He could have had a vote on the committee. He didn't want one. I think he wants to reserve the right to criticize it. He knows he's not going to muster the necessary capital and will and coalition to go against what the majority want to do. So he wants to ultimately go along, ultimately not do anything overt that could anger, well, it's a little bit late for that, that could anger Roger Goodell, but he wants to be on the record as saying, I oppose this. Now, his alternative, as I said, to getting 24 total owners, himself and 23 others, duh, at this point, is to drive such a hard bargain that Goodell eventually says, I'm out. I don't want your contract. And that would be very ironic because under Goodell, the NFL has developed a reputation for driving a hard bargain with everyone. Everyone. Drives a hard bargain with everyone and always wants more and always pushes for more. And there's never enough. It's always more, more, more. We want this. We want that. You can't have that. You can't have that. We want this. You can have this. No, no, no. You can't have that. I know we told you you can have that, but I, I'm sorry. You can't. It would be ironic if now they draw a line in the sand with Goodell and he says, I don't want your, your $20 million a year. I'm used to 40 or whatever the number is. The bottom line is Jerry Jones thinks they're paying Goodell too much any commissioner too much. They think they can hire. Look, ultimately, they're hiring someone to do their bidding. Why not just make one of the owners commissioner? Like baseball did when they threw Faye Vincent overboard and made Bud Selig the commissioner. Why do you got to pay somebody $40 million to do it? Anyway, th this is now officially a thing, and people are interested in it. People are talking about it. People are wondering what's going to happen. You have to wonder how Roger Goodell is reacting to this. Does he now dig in even more? That's how he's wired. Does he get upset? Does he need what, remember this term, 2008-ish, after Donovan McNabb was benched Sunday before Thanksgiving, Eagles at Ravens, benched for Kevin Cobb, remember him? And then the report emerged. Even though Donovan McNabb quickly got his job back, turned it around, they beat the Cardinals handily on Thanksgiving night. And they were on a tear after that and ultimately lost to the Cardinals in the NFC Championship game. The word after that was that McNabb needed a financial apology. Does Roger Goodell need a financial apology after everything that's happened? So this one, this one is a thing. This one is officially fascinating and it's something that we will continue to report on third down. Sorry, I didn't say second down third down. I want to go back to the Texans. We can't have the inmates running the prison. That was a weird, unexpected day. And it was a quote attributed to Bob McNair, 
in the excellent article from Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta Jr. of ESPN the Magazine. It dropped Friday morning. We were on the air. Wickersham gave me a heads up. I've known him for several years. Great guy. I don't know Van Natta. I know Wickersham. Very well done. I spoke to someone with knowledge of the meetings and said, it's all accurate. Everything in there is accurate. And the one thing that we know is accurate is what McNair said. In a meeting of the owners, second day of the meetings, he made the comment, we can't have the inmates running the prison. Once that got out, oh boy, McNair's players, very upset. DeAndre Hopkins walks out. Deontay Foreman, ballsy move for Deontay Foreman. Rookie, trying to prove himself. He walks out. Dwayne Brown almost walks out. And they decide to make a pact that they're going to play hard on Sunday. They're not going to walk out. And that's smart because a Wildcat strike, I don't think is good for anybody. Financially, it would be very bad for the players. I was concerned they were going to maybe all have hamstring injuries, all have concussions. You know, a slowdown, essentially. Or not just try all that hard. Just go out there and miss blocks and miss tackles. And But you know what? Pride takes over. Your love of the game takes over. And that's what happened. But the players are still upset. Dwayne Brown went on the record, talked to him on Saturday morning. He said he wasn't surprised because of comments that McNair had made in the past, including coming and meeting with the team after Barack Obama was elected president, being visibly upset, according to Dwayne Brown, and saying to the players, I know a lot of y'all are happy with this, but plenty of us aren't. And I don't know why you come and tell your players that. Regardless of who wins, regardless of what's going on, why would a team owner go meet with his players about any election and say, a lot of you may be happy about this, but plenty of us aren't? Stupid. Unforced error. And people say, why didn't Dwayne Brown say something about it then? Well, he was a rookie, and what are you going to say? It it wasn't relevant to anything then. Are you going to go public then and say, boy, the owner did something odd? But now that this unforced error of we can't have the inmates running the prison comes up, it all, for Brown, makes sense. Here's the weirdest thing about how this was handled by McNair. He apologized for it. Okay, the story comes out, McNair issues an apology. Fine. And in the apology, he kind of made reference to the fact that he wasn't referring to the players, but that didn't get a lot of focus because he didn't say in the initial statement who he was referring to. It was the next day after he'd met with the players and it didn't go too well, according to Brown. And others have said it didn't go too well. And what I did before I wrote the story with the Dwayne Brown quotes attributed to Bob McNair, I sent them to the team and I gave them an opportunity to respond because I thought it's only fair, it's only responsible. I haven't been to J school, but I've learned over the years that for something inflammatory, for something controversial, you're going to attribute a quote to someone, you want to give that person a chance to respond. So I did. Well, once they got the quotes, the next thing you know, there's another statement from McNair. They had no comment in response to the quotes that I sent, but The second statement from McNair said he wasn't talking about the players. He was talking about the league office. Well, why did you ever apologize then? First of all, a lot of people are having a hard time accepting, just on the surface, the notion that he would use that phrase as it relates to the league office and not to the players. Second of all, if that's the case, 
when it first hits the fan, your reaction is not, well, I apologize to the players. It's, I, 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 I wasn't talking about the players. This is all a big misunderstanding. I don't apologize to the players because I wasn't talking about the players. This isn't about the players. This is about the league office. And I don't know what tightrope he was trying to walk or, look, I mean, if what he's saying is true, it underscores everything that we talked about with Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. And it's a weird situation. If that's the cover, if taking a gratuitous shot at the league office is the cover for what was a shot at the players, that's just weird. And I asked Wayne Brown about the fact that this is a figure of speech. We've heard it all the time. Inmates running the asylum. There's no offense meant when that phrase is used. But Brown said, but that's not the phrase. Inmates running the prison is what he said. He's got a different connotation when he says prison instead of asylum. And for an African-American player, and when you consider the wide variety of backgrounds among all players on an NFL team, you're going to have some guys who hear that and they say, so this is, this is what they think of us. Because haven't we heard that before? Boy, that guy, if that guy wasn't such a great athlete, he'd be in jail. How many times have you heard someone say that? Think about it. How many times have you said it about someone? Boy, if that guy wasn't able to run a 4-3, he'd be in jail right now. And on top of that, on top of that, you add that underlying message of you have no power, you have no control, you will never have a seat at the table. We run this, you don't. We own this, you don't. We set the rules, you don't. And we'll be around a long time after your careers are over. I don't know how this resolves. I don't know where this goes from here for the Texans. I asked Wayne Brown last night where he thinks it goes from here. He said, I have no idea. You've got some guys who are still upset. And to his credit, Bill O'Brien, look at the story we posted today. Bill O'Brien supports his players 100%. Now, he hasn't come out and said anything negative about his boss, but he's supporting his players. And remember, there were some rumors late 2016 that O'Brien wouldn't be back with the Texans. He was one of those names to watch. You know, hey, there's always a surprise. Keep your eyes open on the possibility of Bill O'Brien leaving the Texans. And even though he stayed and denied that there's anything going on, it's persisted. And at one point in March, Bob McNair was asked about Bill O'Brien's contract. He signed through 2018. And O'Brien, or McNair, excuse me, said something along the lines of, well, let's see where we are after this year. Let's see what he's happy about, what he's not happy about. And there's been this sense O'Brien's not happy there. Not in Houston, but with the Texans. Nothing against Houston. It's about the Texans. But you throw a franchise quarterback onto the pile, a young franchise quarterback has... (laughs) A certain uh, gift for getting everyone on the same page. But now O'Brien very clearly, very plainly supports his players. And he could explain it to his boss by saying, look, I have to support my players. If you want us to have a functioning football team, you go ahead and apologize. You do what you have to do. I have to support the players 100% because if they sense I don't support them, we have a problem. Okay, I'm, And I'm not going to offend you along the way. I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to criticize you. But I support the players 100%. And if that contains with it an implicit acknowledgement that I don't like what you said because I support the players and it's clear they don't like what you said. We're just going to have to live with it. Either way, I I think that O'Brien's on the right track because he's going to be a coach for the rest of his career, whether he's with the Texans or somewhere else. And you don't want your players anywhere to think that you don't have their back 100% because then they will never have yours anywhere you go moving forward. Fourth down, trade deadline. We do this every year. 
we're always on the lookout for possible trades because it's the last day to do it. And you should know by now that my position on the trade deadline is get rid of it. I don't like it. There's no need for it. Two teams at arm's length should be allowed to do business any way they want, any time they want. And the idea that there's going to be an arbitrary expiration of when you can do a trade, I don't like it. Regardless, tomorrow is the trade deadline. One guy to keep in mind, Dwayne Brown. I think there already was a possibility Dwayne Brown was going to be traded by the Texans. I don't know whether it happens between now and then. I could see the Texans saying, you know what, we need this guy. We need this guy around because we have a chance. We have an opportunity. We can make this a special season, and having Dwayne Brown with us will only help. Or they can trade him to the Seahawks or wherever. The Seahawks are the team he gets linked to the most. The Colts are 2-6. and six. And there are players there who were not drafted or signed by current GM Chris Ballard. And opportunities are abundant to load the cannon to help make the team better. The indications are Andrew Luck's not going to play this year. Shocker. T.Y. Hilton is available at the right price. I don't know what the price is, but he's available. Frank Gore, I haven't heard he's available, but why wouldn't he be? Pretty much anybody who... They could either unload some cap space, some salary commitment. Because here's the thing about T.Y. Hilton. How much of T.Y. Hilton is a product of Andrew Luck, right? And you could go draft a guy mid-rounds like T.Y. Hilton was, and and you draft right like the Steelers do, and you get four years out of him at a lot less money than what you're going to pay T.Y. Hilton. $8 million this year, $11 million next year, $13 million the year after that, $14 million and change in 2019. So I could see why they'd be willing to replenish that position. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that in Indy over the past few years, the best position group has been receiver. When you have a great quarterback, the receivers tend to be pretty good. The 49ers have been flagged as a team that is willing to sell off assets. The problem is, what do they have? Joe Staley's got the fractured orbital bone, which makes it hard to trade for him. Carlos Hyde's name comes up. He's in the final year of his contract. What, what do you... What do you give the 49ers for a rental of Carlos Hyde. And if you're the 49ers, what do you take for Carlos Hyde, knowing that if you just let him walk away in free agency after the season, you get a compensatory draft pick in 2019. So if you're looking at a fifth-round draft pick as compensation, and it's a very complicated, convoluted formula, but if you're looking at a five for Carlos Hyde in 2019, you need a four or a three for him now. Otherwise, you just wait. Yeah, because you still have to have guys on the team that fans care about. And fans tend to care about the guys who run the football and score touchdowns. It's different for a lineman or a defensive player. But the 49ers are a team to keep an eye on. And the Patriots always seem to have something up their sleeves when the trade deadline approaches. There's one thought that because they have so many running backs, they can move a running back for help on the front seven defensively. But the, the one thing about the trade deadline is... Expect the unexpected. Because we always have our turf staked out as to what we're hearing, whether it's real or whether it's this goofy notion that Calvin Johnson could have his rights traded. I I just think that was a, a, a trade deadline headline grabber from Shefty, all due respect, 
I don't even know when the calls were made to the Lions inquiring about trading for the rights to Calvin Johnson, but there's no indication he wants to play. And if he really did want to play, all he has to do is show up. You show up in Detroit and say, all right, let's reactivate my $16 million base salary. They would either cut him or trade him immediately. And after 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, their options are play him or cut him. And I don't see them welcoming him back, especially he hasn't played in a year and a half. No matter what kind of shape he's in, if he passes a physical, I can't imagine them wanting him back. But here's the thing. Watch for players who are in the last year of the contract, failed former first-round picks, guys who don't fit with a new regime like Marcel Darius. Those are the guys that fall into the, the category of potential trade victims, although you're not a victim if you're getting traded from a bad team to a great team. Either way, 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. And what we'll do is we'll delay the PFTPM podcast for Tuesday so we can get the reaction to the trade deadline in there. All right, fifth down. And I've already gone longer than I want to. I should probably just end it now. Should I just end it now? Now keep going. Fifth down, who are the best teams in the NFL through eight weeks? You know, everybody's still alive. And one of the things we've seen over the years, there'll be a team that around Thanksgiving, hovering around 500, knows it doesn't have many more losses it can take before it's out of the playoffs. The last five or six games become playoff games, and they win, and they win, and they win, and every week is a postseason. Every week is a, if you lose, you're done. And by the time they get to the postseason, they are dangerous. Dangerous. You know, the 2001 Patriots were 5-5 five and five through 10 games. Dangerous. And that was a year where, wire to wire, the Rams were the best team in the NFL. You get into that mode of every week is win or done, win or done, win or done. And if you win enough to get in, that's not a team you want to play. For now, though, I look at the AFC. I mean, for me, I see the cream rising. I see Patriots Seahawks on a collision course for Minneapolis in February. Rematch of Super Bowl 49. That's what I see. Other teams in the AFC that could do something about that. The Chiefs, obviously, they've beaten the Patriots. And if those two teams are tied, then the Chiefs get the edge. The Steelers are a team we have to pay attention to. The Steelers beating the Chiefs in their own building. You know, this could go round robin for the top three teams and neutralize the head-to-head advantage that each one would have. If the Patriots beat the Steelers week 17 in Pittsburgh, wouldn't that be fitting? The Chiefs beat the Patriots in their building. The Steelers beat the Chiefs in their building. The Patriots beat the Steelers in their building. The head-to-head goes out the window if all three teams end up with the same record. I think each of those three teams could make it to the Super Bowl right now. I think it's the Patriots. And the other two teams I would watch in the AFC are the Texans because Deshaun Watson's going to keep getting better and the Bills just because I don't know what to make of this team that I think every week is going to lose and they don't at a certain point you just have to say okay I'm stupid well I already knew that but you just give in they force you to give in I look at that helmet I look at that uniform and I say they haven't been good since the Doug Flutie Rob Johnson year they're not good now Rex Ryan rolled into town two years ago with the same kind of bluster his dad rolled into Arizona with. And what happened? Same thing that happened in Arizona. Nothing. It's hard to take the Bills seriously after all these years. of. It'd be like the Browns all of a sudden are 5-2. and two. What would we say about the Browns if they were 5-2? and two? Well, something's not right here. 
Well, maybe it is. Also, don't completely go to sleep on the Broncos. Here's your Monday night preview. Broncos at Chiefs. Broncos got shut out last weekend, but they understand the urgency. And we've seen this now, where teams get desperate and all of a sudden they can muster a great performance. That's like, where the hell did that come from? And where was it last week? And where's it going to be next week when you're the Raiders after what was the game of the year so far then, week seven, Thursday night, they go to Buffalo and they get the crap beat out of them. NFC, Seahawks, and then after the Seahawks, I don't know. Right now, the Eagles have the best record, but I think the Eagles have to learn how to win. I think the Eagles are going to be one of those teams where when they get to the playoffs the first time, it's not going to go well. It's going to be almost like Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning, it took a while for him to, to, to calm down. He was so conscientious that when he got to the playoffs, he was too conscientious. He was too concerned. He understood how this is legacies are made. And I think, I think that's why he struggled in January, because he knew how important it was to thrive in January, and I think it got in the way of his normal approach. And I don't know about Carson. We'll see what Carson Wentz does. It didn't affect Russell Wilson. It didn't affect Tom Brady. I don't think it'll affect Deshaun Watson. Will it affect Carson Wentz? That's my concern. Do they have to go through a period of learning how to win? I think the Saints are a team we have to take seriously. The Saints are the equivalent of the Bills. And, and the Saints and Vikings, really. I look at both those teams. It's like, and the Rams. Like, what? How? Rams 5-2. and two, How? Vikings 6-2. and two, How? Saints 5-2. and two, How? And also, I don't rule out the Cowboys. If they get good news in the Ezekiel Elliott case and this suspension is put on ice for the rest of the year and they can forget about it, I think it's been a distraction for them. I think that they they could continue to build on what we saw in Washington and they've yet to play the Eagles. They're two games behind the Eagles and they've yet to play the Eagles. If they would sweep the Eagles, who cares what the Eagles have done? All right, I'm done. That that fifth down was a little bit forced, I'll, I'll admit. But we're halfway through the season. I think it made sense to take a look at it. I'll try to have more independent thought about the games that were there. There wasn't a great slate of games this weekend. And we talked about the best game. I, I haven't meant I did mention the Steelers. I didn't mention their win over the Lions. That was impressive. And Juju Smith-Schuster, 97-yard touchdown run. Longest in franchise history. He's not even 21. This makes me feel really old. My son and like a lot of his friends are 21. And now there's a guy who's tearing up the NFL who's younger than my child. It makes me feel very old. Oh, well, I'll process that. We, we, all, we all have that path, right, from birth till death. And you get as many years as you can in between, and you make the most out of all of them. And if you're spending any of your years, or at least minutes, listening to this, I appreciate it. There's a lot of things you could be doing. There's a lot of things you could be listening to. It's a very competitive space. We try to inform you about the NFL, equip you to have meaningful conversations with colleagues, friends, enemies, and family members, or any combination of the four, and also entertain you a little bit. I mean, I like this because this is the one moment of the day. Well, when I'm writing, I can do this too, but I like to grab the microphone and just talk about whatever I want to talk about with some structure. And again, if you're listening right now, that means you like it. That means you should subscribe to it. That means you should review it. You should rate it. Help us make this thing grow. Because if it doesn't grow, there's going to be a point where I say, ah, f- f- screw it. Lee Corso. Remember that? That's been six years ago. It was SMU in Houston. Look it up. Look up Lee Corso F-bomb. You'll be entertained. And maybe one of these days, sooner than later, 
I will say it myself here on the PFTPM podcast. That's a tease, folks. We'll do this again tomorrow. PFT Live Tuesday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. First hour's radio only. Second two hours radio and TV, NBCSN. And I'm going to get back to work. Around the clock, profootballtalk.com. Plenty of stories. Everything that's going on as the trade deadline approaches. We will do this again tomorrow. Have a great evening and talk to you Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.